By the power of Castle Grayskull, I am Hellamark Harley, and we are back after a week hiatus that I didn't announce, and I was trying to do an episode last week, but you know what? Sometimes you just get caught up. You get caught up in the game, and uh, I wasn't able to do an episode last week, but also I hope it helped you realize how much you miss me. Um, so you didn't get an episode, sure, but you did get a lesson in the fact that I bring a lot of value to your life every week and that you can watch me and listen to me and actually enjoy some of the stuff I do. So maybe you can think about that the next time you take me for granted. All right. We do have an absolute banger of an episode. I'm going to ask you guys, drop a comment. Do you like the interviews? Do you like the solo episodes? Which do you prefer? I'm open to doing more. I really like the in-person interview style. I want to get more people in here. And in fact, I was at a masquerade ball a couple weeks ago for this uh, girl's birthday party. Janina... One of these like elaborate, you know, she's turning 25. She's got 2 million followers. She's physically perfect. And so what do you do in that situation when you have a big birthday, like a 25th? Uh, you throw a party for yourself, make people dress up in masquerade clothing, do choreographed dancing uh, with a whole dance team, seemingly. You film that all. You have people repost it. You invite a bunch of influencers. I was really reluctant to go. Uh, I met this girl. We did a sketch with Isaiah uh, a number of weeks ago. She invited me. I didn't really want to go because it was a Sunday. I don't like going to parties like that. And I just have a little bit of that old social anxiety. I picture going someplace and I'm like, this isn't going to be fun to me because I'm not going to know enough people that I want to see. Whatever. You probably relate to this. You talk yourself out of things. Ended up going. Ended up being pretty fun. Uh, I also met some people that I really want to have on the show, and they knew me. I met Kima Russo, who's somebody I've been following uh, on Instagram for probably since 2017, if I can recall. But she's a big, uh, you know, uh, influencer, I guess you'd say. Why not? A big fitness influencer. And I just think she has a really good energy. She puts out good content. Uh, you know, she's uh, a very attractive woman. And sometimes maybe you think of those people and you go, well, they're going to meet me and, you know, not give me the time. You're, you're both famous and beautiful. And she was with her friend, Brittany Babe, who I also follow, who's also sort of famous and beautiful in these you know, worlds that we traverse of fitness influencing. But they were really awesome to me. They were really nice and sweet and even uh, you know, recognized me, I guess. People will come up to me and be like, oh, I, you know, she said specifically, I see you everywhere. And I was like, oh my God, me? Stop. <laughs> but it is cool to be recognized for stuff like that or just like be acknowledged. I'm like, oh yes, we do stuff in the same space and I don't think about how much any content that I make reaches people since I do all these sketches with Isaiah that come out on TikTok and IG stories and how well they do. It's not always something I'm super caught up with, but it was cool to be like, hey, you, oh, you know me because I know you. And then I'm like, come on my podcast. And they're like, yeah. So hopefully that happens. And again, just people agreeing to it, I take that as its own thing. You were nice to me in person. You agreed to come on my show. It's separate from can we organize that, you know, I'm going to take that as that was a cool interaction separately. I will try to arrange the logistics of you coming onto the show, but that's a se separate thing. So I can take that if it never happens because whatever, you know, I'm not going to go, this person said they'd come on my show and then they didn't, right? 
We all know that that happens. I've done that to people. Of big time people all the time. I always agree to go on podcasts and then cancel at the last second. No, I don't. But, you know, it's just difficult when you're busy to travel out to Santa Clarita to do somebody's podcast on a Sunday afternoon. Okay. <laughs> so this is actually a pretty interesting story that I wanted to start off with. Bodybuilding chief dismisses allegations of sexual exploitation. If you follow the world of fitness and bodybuilding at all, you might have heard of this story. Uh, if you could scroll up a little bit, there we go. Jim Mannion, the leader of bodybuilding's of uh, bodybuilding's top federations, the NPC and the IFBB, which are the amateur and pro uh, competitive arms of the same company, um, assured promoters who pay fees to host bodybuilding competitions that business would proceed as usual in the aftermath of the Washington Post investigation into the sexual exploitation of female contestants. Um, Tuesday's story in the Post was based on an interview with 20 women who detailed their experiences with J.M. Mannion, Jim's, Jim Mannion's son, and the official photographer for the NPC News online website, including some who said J.M. Mannion encouraged them to pose nude. Over a 15-year span, J.M. Mannion operated a network of paid softcore pornography websites that at one point advertised over 30,000 images of competitors in the sport, according to archived versions of the website. So I won't read any more from that, but my take on it was essentially you got a guy who got exposed because he was using his leverage as somebody who's, uh, you know, his dad was in charge of this organization and if you're running the thing, you're going to have influence over judging and the outcome of these results in a sport that's highly subjective, right? Would you be able to judge a bikini competition if it were close, if two girls look similar? What would be the judging criteria? Is it going to be that obvious if you favor one person over the other? I think when you see these bodybuilders on stage, maybe open bodybuilding is even easier, but like, you know, in women's physique, it's probably harder because there's less differences between the two. The muscles aren't as big. They're not quite as ripped. Um, you know, you see, you know, you know the look when you see them on stage, but you're like, okay, what's the difference between the first place and the eighth place? It's not always super clear uh, to the casual onlooker. So because of that, you can exploit that, right? The son, I guess, was a photographer and... What would happen is, you know, he'd say, oh, you want to place well? Um, you should pose nude for my website. There was some funny quote online where he's like, you know, have you ever been, how many times have you been going to the gym and you looked at a hot girl working out and you thought, wouldn't that be better topless? Um, that was like literally the tagline of this, <laughs> you know, late 90s, early 2000s website. I'm, I'm, that's how I'm imagining it in my head. Um and also, no, I've never thought that before, actually. You know, as big of a pervert as I am, I've never looked at a girl, like, doing chest flies and been like, man, if only she was topless. You know, I'm like, dang, the girls are hot, hot enough in the gym. I don't know. They look great in athletic wear. I've never looked at a girl doing deadlifts and been like, man, if only I could see her booty hole right now. Like, it looks good as is. So that's kind of a weird premise. But, you know, apparently it was pretty popular. I know there's uh, guys you know, who are into maybe even more, the more muscular look, the more open female bodybuilder, which I don't do anymore. But, you know, these chicks in the 90s were just gigantic and would actually compete. They kind of scaled that back and discouraged women from, you know, blatantly abusing anabolic steroids to the degree where they really looked like muscular men. 
Um, but it's all about the incentive structure. So that guy's doing that and kind of acting as a gatekeeper. Like, oh, you want to play ball? You want to do well in this? Well, you have to pose nude for my site because otherwise, like, why would you? <laughs> right? You know, it, like, this is before OnlyFans and stuff like this. So it's not like you're raking in cash. Like, I assume you'd get paid for the the shoot but then these pictures of your tits at or all over the internet for the rest of your life um i can't imagine he had flocks of women signing up for that who also want to be like on fitness covers and stuff like that because you're doing porn at that point right to some degree and again if you're doing OnlyFans, like at least you can bank all that at least you control it at least you have access to it you can take it down whatever you want you can you know charge whatever you want you can keep going and it's more like your own business and this just seems like a guy coercing you into, you know, using your images with the promise of placing well in these competitions, uh, having access to other photographers, other other contracts, because that's what he's really negotiating with is like, oh, you want, you know, access to the sponsor or whatever, and you don't cooperate, then I can blackball you. So I guess who would be surprised by that? No one, right? Because whenever you give guys power, in a group full of, uh, you know, or, or in a situation that has potentially lots of attractive girls, there's always going to be some creep that tries to figure out a way to leverage his position to get what he wants out of the girls um, in exchange for what they want. And I guess I'm also describing marriage, but, you know, that's besides the point. <laughs> um, so I think it's natural for, you know, but it, just, it personally turns me off to think of that like, you know, because I just can't imagine they wanted any part of that. And, uh, you know, I'm glad stuff like that comes out, to be honest, because I think when you shed light on stuff like that, um, you know, it just it discourages guys from getting into it for that reason. Cause I'm like, dude, if you're, if you're a photographer for like bodybuilding chicks or fitness chicks or whatever, like you should be able to meet some, right? I thought, you know, I always I looked at photographers like who just do hot girls and stuff like that guy, you know, orangutan or whatever that guy, Mike, I think his name's like Mike O. <laughs> he has an IG profile. The guys, guys who are watching me will know exactly what I'm talking about, but like all he does is photograph hot chicks. And there's a lot of guys like that. And I'm, I always thought about that. I'm like, man, if you just wanted like to increase your dating pool, you know, to encompass like just a huge number of tens, go into photography, you know, and photograph hot chicks. And if you can't score, given those opportunities, maybe it's a you problem, right? Um, you need to do some self-reflection. If you're constantly working with hot young women in a position of authority, telling them what to do and making them look beautiful and you can't even get a number or a date, ugh, maybe you're repulsive, right? So just interesting to look, I'll, I'll be following up with that as it unfolds, but yeah, just creepy old man shit. So, you know, I didn't do it live on air this week, but you saw me do it the last couple of weeks, drinking Kratom during the show. Well, I drank it beforehand this time and boy, am I feeling good. And I just want to let you know that some, you know, I might do it in front of, the guest to show off, but I don't need to show off in front of you guys. You guys know I can do it. You know me. You know that this is something I use week in and week out. That one little shot helps put me in the right place to give words to your brain. You can get this Kratom that I'm talking about from happyhippo.com. Use promo code THICKBOY3Cs 
and you can get 20% off for the rest of your life. It's the best Kratom. Trust me. You know, there's a saying out there that goes, if you ain't wearing mustard, you a bustard. Mm -hmm. And that's true. I'm wearing this oak and stone mustard classic short sleeve hitter right now. It fits me great. You can dress it up. You can dress it down. The quality is amazing per usual. It's very durable. It looks phenomenal. You machine wash it. You hang it up to dry. It's going to last you a long time. And people are going to take note. It's one of these little things. You get these basics that are high quality. And women start to take note. You won't have to, you know, for example, uh, coerce them into posing topless uh, for your photography website. You can just date them because of this shirt, right? If only this guy who ran the NPC had an oak and stone clothing shirt, I think we wouldn't be in this situation right now. So if you like this shirt and you like the other stuff that you always see me wearing, go to oakandstoneclothing.com to support an American business doing American things and bringing you American clothing. Use promo code HELLA for 10% off and send me a pic of you in that shirt. <laughs> Thanks. Wanted to get to hater of the week. Who is the hater of the week? Anybody. You know, what's funny is actually this, I did a segment on this exact same thing in the first episode. And then we cut it out. So I'm circling back to the exact same thing <laughs> a year later. And my hater of the week is anybody who's hating on Jake Paul after his most recent fight. And specifically, I guess in this instance, I'm saying the anybody who is claiming that the fight was rigged is hater of the week because you're stupid, first of all. Um, but it always, it, you know, it shouldn't surprise me when people come out and say this, but you'll, you'll see it a bunch online. People are instantly saying this is... Fake, you know, because I do read comments. I go on Twitter. I see, you know, you're looking for footage of the knockout on Twitter or online or to see, you know, see the, I like to see the reactions that people have to, to big knockouts like this. Or not, not even a knockout, just the knockdown um, and the ultimate victory, right, that, that the, the knockdown helped him secure. A lot of people claiming that basically he didn't make contact with his face on this punch and Anderson took a dive and... You'll see video of it that it looks doctored. Either it's like a, you know, they take the worst possible angle and like his black glove kind of blends into the black background that the camera's, you know, aimed at that matches up like between the, um, you know, rings here. It's like the perfect storm to make it look like, oh, he might have missed, but really it's like just uh, kind of obscured by the fact that his glove's black. Because you look at the other angles of this particular punch and you can see clearly he smashed his face. Um, but... You have to be eager to want to believe that, right? So in order to believe that, in order to like, because the information is online. You, if you were actually skeptical or neutral, you'd go, well, let me look at another angle, you know. If you're not doing that, it means you have this cognitive bias towards I need to dismiss somebody. And it's amazing to me how much we need to do that with this particular kid. And I get it because when I first heard of him, I was sort of presented with this idea that he's like a sociopathic problem child uh, who only makes trouble and kind of does these extreme pranks and YouTube videos just for attention and causes other people harm. He seemed like a menace. And I'm not saying he isn't to some degree, but I've been really impressed with his work ethic, his focus, his like all the things that he's done to 
accelerate and consolidate this process of turning into a professional boxer, uh, you know, into something that's really taken place over the course of a few years. And you can see this market improvement in each uh, bout that he takes on. And so when I see people dismissing it, it just always reminds me of uh, like we ne we need an outcome. We need somebody to say uh, that can't be real. And if because if it does, it means this. What does it mean if it's not real? Um, it means that boxers aren't elite athletes, right? Because you can take a kid who hasn't been doing it since birth and condense this process into four or five years. I'd have to double check what the actual time frame is that he's you know gotten to the point where he could meet an aging but still legendary mixed martial arts fighter who's known for his striking. And I would just differentiate it from, for example, if you took a kid who didn't play high school or college football and he's like 25 and said, you know, in four years he's going to be playing uh, NFL football, I'd be like, that's impossible. Like, unless he's the freakiest athlete of all time, like unless you had all these attributes, maybe then, maybe you're 260 and run a 4-440 and have this gigantic wingspan and can, you know, do a 40-inch vertical leap plus whatever. And even then, I think it'd be really difficult. Or the NBA, you know, take a guy who's like, oh, you're 24 and you've never played basketball before. Let's get you to the NBA in three years. I would say, uh, unless you're like so tall that, you know, you're just putting, you know, you're seven feet tall. Sure, okay, you could learn some basics and do pretty well. But taking a guy who's like you'd look at and be like, oh, he's average height for the NBA. He has this average build and uh, attributes to begin with because to me that's what Jake Paul looks like he does have power but you wouldn't pick him out of a lineup as, as having an exceptional physique or something like that and I think it just exposes the fact that the filtration process to get to pro boxing or being a professional MMA fighter it's not predicated on being an elite athlete it's predicated on your willingness to train multiple times a day to get hit in the face, to do wrestling, to do jujitsu, to do striking um, for potentially very little payout and, and potentially gigantic humiliation if you get knocked out, right? Um, but I think as a fan, if you're a fan of boxing, you kind of want to hold on to the idea that it's the athleticism required to do this is comparable to the NBA or the NFL. But there's just not that many people doing it making that much money. How many boxers are there that make, you know, tens of millions of dollars each year? Uh, I don't know. It would seem pretty limited. Certainly not as many, you know, basketball players or NFL players who make millions and millions each year. There's an entire league of them. They're elite athletes. Um, I would say that, you know, the best attributes that a boxer or MMA fighter have is skills, grit, you know, cardiovascular endurance, stuff like that. And that's uncomfortable for people, right? You want to separate these things. He can't be, you know, I was thinking about this. Somebody goes, he's a, they keep referring to him as a YouTuber. It's kind of like referring to a grown man as a baby. It's like, how did this baby beat up, you know? <laughs> like, yes, he was a YouTuber, you know, when he was 13 years old. And now he's an adult, but you're going to, you know, like, it's like calling me a middle schooler, you know? Who gave this middle schooler a podcast? Well, he's not a middle schooler anymore, is he? Are we... Forever defined by the things that we did at any point in our life. No. 
And that's why I'm not going to be known as the guy who jacked off in a Vons in fourth grade. No. <laughs> what? <laughs> Sitting there going, what's the most random thing I could say? That's definitely not true. Um, <laughs> you know, I also wanted to talk about haters real quick with regards to Dane Cook because I got a chance to meet him. He came in here. We took a picture here, as you might have seen, and... I explained the concept of the show to him because I always pitch people. I'm like, hey, man, yo, here's where I shoot my thing. If you want to come on sometime. And people are always nice and they agree to it. And sometimes they even seem sincere. Dan, again, seems sincere enough that I'm going to hold him. I'd want to reach out and, you know, we have talk sense. I'd love for him to come on. But he's a guy who understands haters, right? At some point, and I was trying to fuck, man. Isaiah was like, who's Dane Cook? And I'm like, oh, my God. Like, how do I explain the rise of Dane Cook, the rise and fall? <sighs> Because he, you know, at one point he was like Kevin Hart, right? At one point he was the biggest stand-up comedian on the planet. And then like quickly after that, there was a few accusations of joke theft that he denied, but still like tarnished his image. And I remember there was a time in like 2008 where you'd ask a stand-up comic, because I had comic friends, like, what do you think of Dan Cook? And they're like, he's not funny. They would just say, he's not funny. There's no jokes. What's the joke? I don't get it. Oh, he moves around on stage. It's so insane how dismissive people were of him because, again, you've got this guy, I think of comedy as kind of a binary thing, you know, like it is subjective. But at the same time, if you're making an arena full of people laugh, you know, uproariously and you're the guy going, he's not funny. Like, can't you all see that? It's like, ah, you know, the evidence would suggest otherwise, given this context, you know, in the context of you hanging out in your mom's basement eating Cheetos, ah, you can think anything's not funny or force yourself not to laugh at it, but that was always just an interesting thing where people were, and I think this is common with any comedian at the top of the game, Kevin Hart talks about this, that people would just be like, you're not funny, rather than, I don't think you're funny, which is the only appropriate thing you can say. Um, but there was a time when, yeah, he was so big, and then it became more de jour than almost anything in pop culture to like say Dane Cook sucks, right? And uh, it's cool to see him come out the other side of that. I think he's one of the funniest humans I've ever seen in person. Like being in the same room with him, you're like, oh yeah, he's still got it, man. He's just like, you know, he's he's very charismatic and quick and also just, you know, I think a nice, generous guy to talk to, you know, um, and I think, his intelligence is often underestimated or not somebody something that people think about, you know, but that's what came across to me. Okay. I know why you're all here. The saucy or not section is back. And today we're going to look at Zach Efron. This is somebody who, poor Zach, huh? Can't you just be a ridiculously handsome guy who's been on camera his entire life and maybe do steroids sometimes and not get any flack for it? Apparently not. Um, Again, I don't give a shit if these guys do steroids. I'm going to play devil's advocate right now and say, let's look at his physique in both of these pictures because people are like, oh my God, he's got, he's, the first one I put up there is him from Baywatch. And, you know, the main things that I notice that you have to take into account is he's very tan. When I get tan, you look more muscular and you just look better, right? And it almost makes you like, think other people are on steroids more. We're used to that like hot dog skin WWF wrestler. And also there is an element too, I think, which steroids make your skin more red because of the increase in red blood cells is something I've heard and it makes intuitive sense. Doctors, go ahead and fact check me. But when I look at that picture of above and the picture below, the main differences I see are just that his gut looks bigger below, but he's not even that 
much leaner in the first pick. And this is for a movie called Iron Claw, which is about the rise and fall of this real-life wrestling family. Um, so he's playing a real guy here, hence the goofy haircut that is, you know, going to mimic something from another time. But, you know, people will look at this picture, and uh, Brendan and Brian were asking me about HGH gut and stuff like that, and it's like, or he had a lot of food before he took this picture. I remember seeing some pictures of myself in Costa Rica when I was surfing and I'd like just eaten a big meal. You know, this guy's taking like long range photographs of you. I'm like, oh my God, I am disgustingly fat. But it's just because, you know, my belly's protruding. Um, you know, you look at other pics from whatever, that trip, and it's like, I don't know, my body fat was 9%. It's just like, you know, put enough empanadas in my belly. And of course I'm gonna look pregnant. So let's just leave Zach alone. He's coming from his trailer. He just had lunch, all right? And here's the thing, you look at that guy's arms and stuff like that, he's not that big, right? This is an attainable physique if you're born with 99th percentile genetics. <laughs> um, no, he does have great genetics. Just as far as like the muscle, like his, the shape of his pec and the length of his arms, he is aesthetic, but he's not that big. Is he probably on steroids? Yes, but let's not like dismiss the fact that he does go through body transformations. He doesn't like doing this. And so, you know, but he's cool. He's open about it. The other little thing... I was going to say is, Casey, do you know about this conspiracy theory? Uh, no. I mean, I know, I thought he had something wrong with his jaw and like got it fixed. Yeah, well, that's kind of what he claims. He's like, oh, I almost died and I had this jaw surgery that also happened to lead to him having, you know, mandibular implants or whatever, mandible implants. Um, because I look at this picture, right? And he's claimed he didn't have like cosmetic surgery. He almost died. Like he, he'll reference like I almost died. Uh, to me, when I look at that, it's like, okay, so both sides of your face were, you know, augmented to look more square, you know, from a head-on perspective. And I would say it's not implausible that he did get cosmetic surgery uh, out of an insecurity of how his face looks, right? I remember when I was younger looking at guys with really square jaws, I'm like, oh my God, like, I'll never look like Brad Pitt or, you know, like these guys who are like leading men as actors, right? They have a certain look to them. And I remember even th like thinking like, oh, I wonder if I could make this part of my face bigger. Now, if I ever do that, if I ever do anything in my face, you guys will be the first to know. Um, I promise I'll, I'll take you to the Botox Center with me. We'll film it all. But I'm just thinking if I'm a teenager and, and comparing myself, you know, to some movie star that I'm like, Oh man, that's the idea of masculinity and handsomeness that, you know, I wish I could be and I'm not. Uh, and I'm not even on camera or doing anything. Imagine if you're somebody who makes a living off of that and you're comparing yourself as you become an adult from a teenage star and you're thinking that you're inadequate in some way. It's easy to wrap your mind around the idea that, you know, he would have a cosmetic procedure done and just go into denial about it because why would you admit it, right? Do any major male celebrities admit that they have facial procedures done? I have to imagine they don't. Name one celebrity that talks about getting Botox. Who's a man? The Weeknd. Wait, did he get? Did he say that? I thought he changed his whole face. I, I was unaware of that. The Weeknd? I, no, I don't know. Let's look it up. Because that's the first time hearing of it, and I when I think of him, I thought he like actually performed with like the bandages and was like a whole thing. I don't know. I could be wrong. <laughs> That's like that sounds like it could either be totally true or just completely made up. Yeah, he performed like this. Uh huh. 
surgery show. Wait, what? Oh, he doesn't look like that on the right. No. <laughs> I don't know. Okay, wait, wait, read the article real quick. We got to got to get to the bottom of this. Um, months before the NFL announced the weekend as this year's Super Bowl halftime performer, the award-winning artist was making headlines for all sorts of musical accomplishments. Okay, let's get to the meat of the situation. The weekend's fans were even more like, what is going on? Okay, wait, wait. looking as though he'd undergone, wait, okay. So he just posted a, a, a something looking like he did? Like trolling everyone or I, what? I guess. Uh, uh, despite growing concerned about the weekend's face, multiple <laughs> outlets have confirmed that the singer hasn't actually gone under the knife or sustained any serious facial injuries. Instead, he's been using prosthetics and makeup to tell the dark and twisted story embedded in his 2019 album, After Hours. Um, okay, so he got me. Yeah, A Man's Descent Into Madness, I guess, is what the album's storyline is, and chasing excess and happiness in all the wrong places. But that's, I mean, that's kind of a brilliant little, you know, piece of performance art because he's, com like, he's a guy who's in the entertainment industry uh, talking about chasing satisfaction or pleasure or, you know, um, completion in some way that is the wrong path and so maybe we're seeing that with Zac Efron and it's like you know we're never gonna you can ask these guys or whatever they're never going to admit it right if you're a guy in Hollywood what upside do you have to be like yeah I have surgery because I'm so I'm also I'm a leading man I'm a tough guy leading man who's playing this pro wrestler and I want to be taken seriously for the rest of my life as a leading man in Hollywood but also I'm so insecure about my appearance that I get facial work done not gonna happen right so I just thought that was interesting. Maybe you guys can comment below with what you actually think. Did he get surgery or not? Could the near-death experience that he had in a car accident lead to him? You know, it's like a girl getting a new... <laughs> I just thought of that. Like, you know, you don't see a girl for a while and you're like, hey, how you been? She's like, oh, man, I got in this car accident and now I have huge tits. <laughs> That's the equivalent, right? And then, and then make you feel bad for bringing it up, you know? It's like, hey, did you get breast implants? No, I almost died, actually. It's really traumatic. The only way they could save my tits was to put giant silicone implants underneath the muscle. And also, I got a nose job while I'm there, too. Um, I also got a BBL. <laughs> I'm not mad at it, though. You know, if that's what happens, if you need to tell yourself that it's because of the car accident, go for it. Get that BBL. Okay, wanted to talk about some hella smart books. Remember that segment? Oh yeah, your boy's been reading. And by reading, I mean listening to books on Audible. Now, couple ones right here. I am so fascinated both by Scientology and Donald Trump. More so Scientology, but Donald Trump's an interesting one because uh, there's a lot of books out there that have like essentially tried to portray him as the worst person of all time and, you know, the worst president and, uh, you know, it's it's... I guess you, you you probably have books. I'm sure there are books that praise him, um, you know, and, and make him out to be the best president of all time or the worst president of all time. Uh, I'm not interested in something that's super ideological and just going to tell me, like, how stupid and worthless and egomaniacal Donald Trump is. This book I thought was interesting because it's called Confidence Man, um, and I believe it's by Maggie Haberman is her name. Yeah, there we go. And she was actually somebody who would follow him on the campaign trail. So she got to know him maybe in ways that a lot of people, like she had access to him. And that was a, you know, a, a, 
a selling point for me is that she knew this guy a little bit better maybe than the average person. And what I really liked about it was that while ultimately this portrayal of Donald Trump is negative and critical in a lot of ways, I felt like it always remained grounded in reality and didn't kind of give this editorial edge of like, and he did this, therefore he's, you know, stupid or a pathological liar. However, what you do get is this portrait, as the title suggests, of a con man, right? And now being a con man is a skill, okay? And a con man, of course, is short for confidence man. Uh, his skill at sales and essentially you know, uh, promotion, right? He's in this archetype of people, and we've probably talked about this before, but you might say Kanye West is in the same archetype. You might say P.T. Barnum or Tom Cruise or various famous people who are action-oriented, great salesmen, have a lot of charisma, fall under the umbrella of what might be called an ESTP. Um, Isaiah Miranda is an ESTP. Uh, Gianni Paolo is an ESTP. I like ESTPs a lot. Uh, they, I pair well with them personality-wise because we'll often kind of be open to each other's ideas. They like my ideas even when they're a little bit more outlandish, and then they want to maybe take action on it, where I'm like, I'm going to think about it a little more, come up with some of their options, and they're kind of like, let's do it now. And sometimes that can be a good force of encouragement to like, hey, let's just let's dive into it and figure it out later. You know, Donald Trump is sort of the best at that, you know? And she gives him credit for his survival instincts because she kind of frames the book as this like series of he almost gets ruined, he almost gets ruined, he almost gets ruined and somehow pulls it out at the last second and has very shrewd survival instincts at the end of the day. And that is something that you have to give him credit for. Uh, he's managed to pull it out when all the chips are stacked against him and whether or not he's broken laws or been some sort of exceptional force of, you know, criminal behavior in the White House, uh, you know, that's not really for me to judge because I do think lots of criminal shit goes out of the White House and people's, uh, you know, people will like hate on Donald Trump and then, you know, turn around and sing the praises of Bill Clinton, who I think is a, uh, you know, verifiable grapist. But I just never want to look at people through the lens of ideology alone. You know, he's, a, he's at the end of the day, he's a fascinating guy. And I think this is a good portrait of somebody who is either glorified as somebody who's flawless and perfect or degraded as somebody who's worthless and only has flaws in every aspect of his life. And this book actually strikes a pretty decent tone. And then a billion years. So I dude, this book, um, going clear was the first big book that I read about Scientology. And this is one like that was like written from a journalistic perspective of like I'm doing an investigation into multiple threads of this whole story, the history, like L. Ron Hubbard's life, um, you know, uh, uh, interviews with Paul Haggis and other people who sort of worked their way up and then defected um, the story of, 
how Tom Cruise got into like it's like you know three or four different threads, uh, all the secret compounds they have that weaves together, and uh, the you know the story of how David Miscavige took control of the church from L. Ron Hubbard, or when he died, he became the um, you know uh, the new CEO, the new cult leader, so to speak. And this is a guy who grew up. This guy, Mike Rinder, uh, is his name, I believe. And um, let's see. Mike Rinder's parents began taking him to their local Scientology Center when he was five years old. After high school, he signed a billion-year contract. <laughs> <laughs> Imagine your parents just put that in front of you. Slide. Okay. You want ice cream tonight? Sign the contract. <laughs> You don't like you don't like it. Rene- oh, yeah. Renegotiate after a billion. Yeah, yeah. Years. renegotiate after a billion years. <laughs> so many years, dude. That's a lot of years. It's just insane. Imagine, uh, you know, L. Ron Hubbard just sitting there, like, kind of like <laughs> a million years. Scratches that out. <laughs> a billion years. Um, just so excessive, and uh, but he was ultimately admitted to Scientology's elite inner circle. The Sea Organization brought, uh, brought to founder L. Ron Hubbard's yacht and promised training in Hubbard's most advanced technique. Mike was instead put to work swapping decks. Now, this is something that I knew from the other book, like, have you said this billionaire contract? And then you're like, upkeeping his yacht, right? Cool. Very purposeful work. And the stories, if you don't know anything about Scientology... Some of the stories are so unbelievable that like people would voluntarily commit themselves to this group. Um, you know, they essentially like if you're part of this little organization, he talked about like being trapped in a room for like weeks on end as punishment, and you're forced to like like your only way out of this like room is to uh, like accuse other people of committing thought crimes, essentially. So you're like you just end up being like, Casey fucks pigs, you know? <laughs> and he's like, what are you talking about? Like, no, you, uh, you know, murder old people. And and um, you'll ascribe, like, thoughts to them and whatever. And then you're in this position where you have to deny it. And, like, there's so many, like, the details of these stories. Like, you just can't make this stuff up. And it's absolutely batshit crazy. Um, but it's, to me, it's fascinating to be like, how do you suck people into this thing that's so obviously harmful and obviously there's so much information about it now and I think a lot of people are leaving too but it's like you know like how do you build something like that and obviously this guy L. Ron Hubbard was like totally manic depressive and you know he was a science fiction writer who would just write like you know thousands of pages uh, straight on like butcher paper like scrolls of butcher paper you know in in a manic episode and just whose thoughts had no basis in reality uh, and he, you know, verifiably lied about almost everything. But like Donald Trump, that takes a certain skill to pull off as well. You know, you got to be good at lying. You got to be good at bullshitting. And it's pretty remarkable what he built up. The, The funny thing today is they're trying to get this guy, David Miscavige, for like some of this abuse stuff is tough because I guess it's under the guise or the protection of the First Amendment, you can do amazing, incredible things. You're like, how do you get away with this? Well, First Amendment, right? You can't go after religions. And I guess one of the points was, you know, if you're the FBI and you have instances like Waco, 
in the Branch Davidian compound where they try to break up some weird little religious situation and end up killing everybody. Like, that's not the best PR for the FBI and national law enforcement. So maybe in the future, you kind of go like, where are we putting our resources? Maybe we should just go after, you know, drug dealers and criminals because there's no possible way that anybody could, you know, uh, care about that as much if we end up uh, killing a house full of uh, innocent people. So with this situation, it's like, yeah, the FBI has a limited budget and Scientology, you know, rakes in this cash that's untaxed from every single uh, place it gets it from. And they will spend, 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 spend. And they were on the hook for like a billion dollar tax bill in the 80s. And they basically like fought the IRS to a draw um, as the IRS was hiring all these you know, the nation's foremost philosophers to redefine religion in a way that would exclude Scientology, but include all the major monotheistic religions. Turns out you can't because they're all batshit crazy. But, uh, you know, it's a good lesson in philosophy that you can't be like, ooh, this, this religion's too crazy. Like, sorry, you know, you can believe whatever you want to believe in America. However, what you can't do is commit credit card and wire fraud. So apparently that's how Scientology is going to go down is... They'll get you to like take out credit cards and like max them out and like pay Scientology and then you default on it and like you'll have like other people do that. So, you know, that's what they fucked up. Uh, read it. It's super good. All right. What can we do here? How many? How much? How long have we been going? 40 minutes. Good. I got so much more to say. Um, you know, I'm going to read it. We're finally at the sub full portion of this episode. I had a chance to train with the Buttery Bros in Salt Lake, and I'm also going to combine that with a little bit of a, you know, a, a Bro Science Academy, because I'm going to share the workout. We did the the uh, Fight Gone Bad workout, and this is, people always complain about time and stuff like that. This is a 17-minute workout. Three rounds. Five exercises. One minute break in between, and it will put you on your ass. You do uh, wall balls, right? You squat all the way down, throw up the wall ball. The next thing is to do, I'm going to say, a sumo deadlift into a high pull, right? And this is just like 75 pounds. So deadlift into here, deadlift into here, deadlift. And you're doing as many reps as you can in a minute. So let's say you're trying for like 30 or something like that. After that, you take that same barbell and you do a push press, push press. Again, going for as many reps as you can in a minute, nonstop, if you can. Then you're doing box jumps, right? So probably, you know, nothing crazy, a couple feet, but you're jumping, 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 jumping. And then we're doing uh, the rowing machine, right? The little, the row simulator. First round, you know, won't be that hard, but by the end of it, I guarantee if you push yourself to do as many reps as possible, like definitely had to lay down, I think, I got like 335 reps, you know, something in the ballpark of, of that. Um, I beat Heber. Julian beat me by a few, I believe. But it was a great workout. And there's no excuse. I love those guys. They're always super positive. And then we did a, a little cross workout the next day. And I did, it was like deadlift bench and um, dumbbell cleans. And that was the second day I did deadlifting in a row. And ended up throwing out my back. Okay, cool. Yeah, hey, good job. Yeah. No, smart move, smart move. Yeah. Yeah. Because uh, I'm just like, yeah, like, why, why wouldn't I just, you know, just do, do the CrossFit class? Come on, no, don't be a pussy. Yeah, during the, during the uh, companion in Salt Lake City, you were, like, walking at, like, a 45-degree angle. Yeah. No, like, you, Mark, yeah. you okay? You're like, where are you? Yeah. 
Huh? Yeah, in Salt Lake to get to the companion, I remember like I got up. No, after the companion, I laid down and like when I got up, I almost collapsed mm -hmm. because like certain beds, like when the mattress is shitty and it goes in like that, that's like not the way you should bend your spine when you have an, a back injury. So I got up and almost collapsed and um, just felt so bad for myself, you know? Just like, oh my God. <laughs> um, okay, you know what I was gonna say is I ran into this wonderful family right here, the Beatrices. I grew up with these people, hadn't seen them for years and years and years, and ran into them. I'm friends with their three sons. Um, I grew up playing football with Mike. They were the new kids. Mike was a new kid. He moved from Boston around the same that I, at the same time that I moved to Northern California. So we kind of became friends over that. He's the guy who introduced me to Eminem. Um, now, uh, his little brother Nikki is now actually a professional rapper. Crazy. Um, his other brother Aaron uh, owns like a wood carving. He makes like furniture and really cool stuff out of. Um, discarded wood what is that called like <sighs> reclaimed lumber or driftwood i don't know i think that <laughs> that shit that's behind you right now yeah that shit. <laughs> <laughs> no but like actually you know um it looks it looks a lot better than this it looks really really good and so and mike also owns multiple restaurants in the uh, bay area i'm using them as an example of like these three kids were raised in such a way that they felt confident enough to go out and start their own businesses or pursue entertainment careers, and they're all killing it in their own right. Um, you know, Nikki gets song placements everywhere. He, he has a number of really good, he's like a fantastic technical rapper, but he also writes beautiful songs um, and gets like play. I know he's had some placements in like NBA 2K and some of these things where, uh, you know, you get a good payoff or you get a songwriting credit over here, and he's got a plaque of some sort, all right? That's what I'm saying. I remember. You know, coming over to this guy's house and like they to me they looked exactly the same. So these, um, you know, Mike Beatrice Senior and his wife Gina Beatrice, I saw them and I was like, oh my god, you guys look phenomenal. I believe they're in their late 60s or early 70s, and Gina has had throat cancer. Um, you know, Mike is a former uh, linebacker for the Canadian Football League. Um, the Toronto Argonauts or something like that. These are guys who I just thought of as an example of if you continue to exercise throughout your whole life, and I know that was always a priority for them, they had a, a gym in their garage. Um, he's uh, president of the restaurant Il Fernayo, so we always used to scarf out there. But uh, it's really amazing to see people who as they age, you know, if you keep it up and you never let it go, you're gonna look great. You're gonna be able to do things like beat cancer. You're going to be able to do things like be 70 years old and look a lot younger than you are or be you know, not obese, be able to move around. And I think that's when I meet people like that after I haven't seen them for a long time, I'm just reminded of like, yes, this is really the goal here. Being buff and incredibly handsome right now is great, but at the end of the day, you, know, you wanna increase that health span so that I don't need assistance getting off the toilet when I'm 65. I just need it now when I'm 39 and I blew my back out doing deadlifts with 75 pounds. This is why we can't have Yay! nice gyms. Woo! I saw this video and I was like, 
there's just one of these guys in every gym. And how do you know? Because he's wearing hiking boots, a lifting belt, his legs are as skinny as my wrist, and he's trying to do hammer curls with 125-pound dumbbells. There's no reason for you to do this, but I, ah, at the same time, I kind of also applaud the effort because you're totally delusional, but at the same time, it's probably going to do something, right? Part of your body's working. It's not doing nothing. It is tough. But yes, ultimately, you're just swinging your arms around like a complete jackass, and you lack self-awareness of any sort, but you're providing entertainment to me, and I get to go, hey, at least I'm not him, right? <laughs> this one is just Larry Wheels. There's no, he's like sped up talking and it's me explaining to the other survivors of the zombie apocalypse that I had to eat all the food because I'm bulking. <laughs> he's like, well, what happened was, you know, so I don't know. And I just related to it. I'm like, that would be me. But like, dude, okay, but the thing is, caloric surplus, right? Gym tip two. If you don't see results after the first day of lifting, use anabolic steroids. And I just feel like, that's very funny because so like you know I had to stop like doing a lot of people have been asking me because so many people would just be like hey uh, should I take steroids and I'm like well, yeah what's your lifting routine look like and they're like well I I don't really lift weights or I just started and it's like oh my god like you know how long are you gonna wait or like how like, how much effort are you gonna put into figuring out how to lift weights before you you know, bug me about using anabolic steroids. That's not everybody, but it's remarkably common. And uh, I wish you wouldn't do it. If you're a teenager listening to this, wait till your third day, all right? Here we go. Myostatin cat. So this video has been going around. This cat is buff as fuck. At first I thought it was like, is that Photoshopped? But he looks like this mutant cat. I mean, it kind of looks real, right? And sadly, I do think there's some sort of myostatin uh, mutation. If you don't produce myostatin, there's no limit to your growth, right? And that's kind of what happens at the, if you're putting on a lot of muscle, you know, the limiting factor, people think, I thought this is an interesting little point. It's not androgen receptor down regulation when you're taking steroids. Like they don't just stop working after a while. It's actually, if you keep putting on muscle, um, your myostatin will build up. And that prevents you from putting on more muscle. And then you do uh, a, a, you know, a recovery phase. You, you take a, a, a few weeks um, you know, and go lighter. And then you start doing it again. And you can take a few more steps forward. But uh, you know, that's how blasting and cruising works. Now, for this little cat, he's always blasting. But I don't know. I didn't look too much into it because I felt like it would be sad. To learn like oh and this cat died at the age of two um he's not here for a long time he's here for a good time and he's looking phenomenally jacked so let's give it up for that myostatin cat huh yeah that cat's got that dog in him he's got dog in him. That was <laughs> see that comments yeah. that's that's a dog in me um <laughs> all right let's take this out this is when when your doc asks you about vitamins you know you got what you vitamins you taking yeah uh, d-ball d-ball it's just basic stuff. Basic stuff. I mean, <laughs> and while I do love, you know, the humor of that, because like Ronnie Coleman, I don't like, you listen to me like, this guy didn't really even know what he was taking. And I don't think that's necessarily, you know, 
exceptional for these bodybuilders. Some guys were really into the pharmacology of it, and some guys were just like, yeah, I'll give you whatever you give, you know, test D-ball, uh, I think, uh, like, whereas I know exactly how much I've taken in every single cycle. You'd never catch me and be like, oh, what did I take? What was the dose? Like, I know exactly. It just sticks in my head because I think about it more. But also at the same time, everybody wants this secret answer to like, what kind of crazy stuff were you taking? And it's like, Oh, he trained like a maniac, had, you know, the most elite genetics of all time. It doesn't matter what he took. All the pathways are going to lead to you being a gigantic human. All right. This is maybe. Oh, did you see that? We have to play it again. Did you catch it? Were the plates falling off? Nope. So this guy's banging out leg press with like nine plates aside, and he's going way too fast. Look at his left leg. Oh, you uh, hate to see it that. It goes full. Uh, it goes hyperextension like that, right? He's like doing that, that right? Nasty. And then, uh, and then, ah, uh, this is this doesn't hurt me. I have no ligament in my pinky, but this is what his leg looked at, uh. looked like. Even worse, in fact. Oh, you'd think people would learn. Why are you bouncing leg press though, huh? Like who hurt you? Who raised you really? When you've been making some serious leg gains, but now your dick looks even smaller. And uh. Stano saying. A small price to pay for salvation. You hate to see it, though. You hate to see it. And that's why, you know, it's a trade-off. Like, it's just, ugh, it's not fair. You know what I mean? Because sometimes, like, you, you know, you'll be watching a porno with your girl, and you'll see some guy with a huge cock. She's like, oh, my God, look how big his dick. I'm like, well, that's because he has skinny legs. Like, it would look bigger if these were smaller. It's all relative. <clears throat> Jay Cutler? Is that is that Jay Cutler doing a quad stomp? Uh-huh, you see that? Shake it to flex it. Now, people are saying Jay Cutler because Jay Cutler used to do the iconic quad stomp and just had these gigantic ripped quads. It looked phenomenal. Some of the best quads in history. Now, this guy's obviously not Jay Cutler. He's kind of fat. His quad development's not bad, but here's what I like about it. I like to see people who are in the gym and, like, they're enjoying the benefits of, of them working out. They're reaping the rewards. And part of that is visual. He likes what he sees, right? He's, he's flexing in the mirror and that brings him satisfaction. And I think that although you could mock that as being vain or delusional or whatever, like he likes it, you know, and he sees the change and he's used to looking at something. That's why I always, you know, am forgiving towards people. You look, you're in the gym, you're looking in the mirror or you'll see people like young kids post videos of themselves where they're like flexing, like for their camera, like they're filming their mirror and flexing uh, in the mirror, you know, for the camera and then putting it online. And party wants to be like, that's so self-absorbed. But at the same time, it's like that person is enjoying the fruits of their labor. That's part of the reason why we work out and it feels really great to notice those new things and be like, oh my God, I'm ripped. I'm Or just, I'm making progress. And if you've never experienced that, I hope you do someday. Videos I wish I could unsee. Is this guy gonna get hurt? Not the first one, but this guy! Taking a dump, scratching up his neck. Taking a dump as in dumping the, look at this guy's bicep. Oh. What's crazy is he doesn't let go. His whole bicep turns into a little lemon on his arm. This guy, strong man, falls on him, right? So it's just all these like, night. I, I don't know. I don't think the first one's anything, right? Yeah. But yes, you got to be careful when squatting and you got to be careful when deadlifting. God, that's the scariest thing to me because then your biceps deform for the rest of your life. Like mine potentially is because of this fascia there. Oh. So what do we have next? Oh, no. No, not the same one. It's the same length, Mark. Wait, is it? Was that the last one? Yeah, look. When you forgot to put... Oh, damn it. No. Okay. 
the other one I was going to show, we'll show that next time. It's going to be where you, um, you know, it's like this is why you put clips on uh, when you squat. But it's not the guy getting hurt. It's his friend who he tries to rack it and he misses. And then he tips it over this way. All the weights fall off. And when they do, the barbell comes swinging back up as the guy's rushing in to spot him and it decks him in the chin, right? Oh. And so that's why we can't have nice gyms because you guys don't use clips, all right? Now, a lot of people have been asking me, Mark, um, you said you stopped eating McDonald's. You said that you were going to part ways with the bloat monster. There's rumors that he might have been coming back. What's the latest status with that? And I just want to show you guys, look, when you stop eating McDonald's and also lift up the skin on your belly, you can get ripped too, all right? You just have to stop eating. Stop being a fat ass, all right? Put it down. Put the McDonald's down. Put the fork down. Try not eating for a day or two days or whatever. You're going to be okay. You're not going to die. You have plenty of body fat on your body. And if you really get sick and start to die, go to the hospital. And what they'll do is give you some food. Problem solved. Tune in next week for more valuable insights with Hella Mark Harley.